Well, if you have your Bibles, uh, if you want to open to Matthew chapter 5, we're still in the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm just, just, to, just to be clear, we're going to be in the Sermon on the Mount now for several more weeks. Um, yeah, Kidmo, you're welcome to head on out. Thank you, Scott. Um, Jeremy said that uh, version is a pop. Um, so, okay. So if you want to scan that um, QR code right there, you can do that, um, and it will pop up, or you can do the direct link um, to go to uh, that number, and it should pull it up. Sometimes it takes a little longer for it to populate on the map. Um, so, and so my notes are there. Uh, more importantly, some links are there if you'd like to engage, and as we continue to open things up, I'm super excited about a lot of things that are happening here. Um, and so that just helps us to plan and to, um, to know how to move forward. And um, we recognize the groups and all things. Uh, we still, even though uh, we, we tentatively celebrate the end of a pandemic, um, it's, the pandemic has affected us. And um, for some of us, we're still not quite ready to be as social as we were before. Uh, we've kind of gotten into routines. Um, let me get out of the way if y'all can see that, if it's working. And um, so as we do that, um, we're, we're patient, um, but also encouraging us to get back involved in really healthy activities as a community. Um, we've tried to be a community as a distance, and that's just really hard. Um, but I'm super thankful you all are here, and uh, we'll just continue to do that. All right, thank you, Jeremy, for that, um, for letting us know about that as well. Okay, um, last week, last two weeks, were a lot of fun, right? We had some very good conversations. Um, uh, you know, about um, desire and lust and divorce and marriage. And what's interesting is this sermon is Jesus' introduction um, to a larger group of disciples. And so uh, Jesus, at this point, has not called the Twelve. Um, this is his first major teaching, and he enters the scene basically saying this. Um, so you have heard all of these things that all these teachers have given you, and they have taken their yoke and placed it on your shoulders. And for many of you, you are being crushed under the weight of their teachings. But I want you to know that my teachings are easy and my yoke is light. Um, we know, after following Jesus, they're not really that easy, Jesus. Um, but his point in his teachings are not to give us a list of do's and don'ts. They're to reveal something about life and the kingdom that you will not come to on your own. And so what he's trying to do is dispel some of the things that, that people, um, other teachers of the law have placed on them. Um, we looked at, at three such teachers last week and their understanding of what it looks like. Um, you know, how do you understand when you can end a marriage? And Jesus basically says, you, you, you missed the point. <laughs> you really missed the point of what that's about. Well, it's really about, so not, it's, it's not about when should you get divorced, it's how should you be married is really the point. So when we go through and we look um, at a lot of Jesus' teachings, um, like it's interesting that he front loads that, first with an announcement of blessing. Like you who are struggling and are poor in spirit, you who are meek, you who are persecuted, you who are looking for the kingdom, it is here and it is yours. And then he goes on to, to talk about all these different things that are hot-button issues of the day all the things that they're struggling with and dealing with and they have wrong understandings of, and he's trying to correct them. And right up front, 
he goes right to our most intimate relationships, which is where he talks about desire and marriage. And then he follows that up with this next very interesting um, section on oaths, which I know you're super excited about, and you have a burning desire to know Jesus' prohibition of using oaths. I know you're excited about that, but if if we're going to get anything out of this, we have to recognize there's always a thing when Jesus is teaching, and then there's a thing behind the thing. And what we're most interested in is the thing behind the thing, because what most Christians today are interested in is only the thing. And so then they miss all the good stuff, and they miss exactly what Jesus is trying to say, and at times we walk away with really not just bad understandings, but really wrong understandings of what Jesus is trying to say. So let's jump into Matthew um, chapter 5, verse 33, and this is what he says. Again, and, and, and remember, this is, this is Jesus refuting the teachings of the day, and this is often how he begins that. Again, you have heard it was said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at, <coughs> at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Now, this is a passage that is easy to read and move on, isn't it? Like, we don't really know what he's saying. It doesn't sound like something we would probably do anyways. Um, We don't know why this is a big deal, but... We typically lump this into our category of there are rules of things you're supposed to do and rules of things you're not supposed to do. Do the things you're supposed to do. Don't do the things you're not supposed to do, and God will be okay with you. And that is a terrible way to read Scripture. But it is probably the primary way here in the West that we read Scripture. Because we cut to the chase, right? Like If, we, if you want to know our opinion on current affairs, we could probably reiterate a headline of what that, whatever's going on with that current affair. But if we go in and read it, do we, do we educate ourselves and find out the nuances? And what are all of the intricate issues that go along with this? Nope, it's all about this and only this. That's why news clips are so powerful. They give us in 30 seconds all we really want to know, but we really don't know what's going on that they're reporting on. And that's what we do with Jesus. We got, okay, I'm not going to do an oath. Done, Jesus. I, I should get an extra bathroom at least in my mansion in heaven because I'm not going to do that. And you told me not to do that. But just like when we look at desire, the church messed up desire for a long time. And said, you desire is evil. But God said desire was good. It's very good. But when you direct it into the wrong place, it becomes very destructive. But what we did was we messed up a, a whole group of young married couples when we, when we basically said all desire is bad, and so then they got married, and now you're allowed to desire one another, and then you're like, I don't know how to feel now. I'm not, this has always been bad. So we have to understand the thing behind the thing. There's always low-hanging fruit, um, and, and honestly, some of the low-hanging fruit I've heard from this is one, just don't promise anything that you won't deliver on, which seems like a good 
idea, right? That seems good. And I do think that is part of what Jesus is saying here is, I think probably one of the worst summations of this passage I hear is you should not use cuss words. Has anyone ever heard that, that this passage is talking about cuss words? Now, I am not advocating cuss word use, all right? Um, but I, this passage is not about cuss words. <laughs> this is not what he's talking about. It's, it's, it's not even the way sometimes his name is used as a cuss word, even though that's not good either. Um, around about, you could say that's what Jesus is saying, but that's really not what this passage is about. What he's saying, the, the saying that he gives in verse 33, you have heard it said, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Like, there's not actually even a legitimate law there. There's not, that's not actually found in the law. That, that's not a law that he's quoting from. Now, he has quoted from two other laws already, but this is not actually in there. The closest thing you could find that he could possibly be um, quoting is Exodus 27 that says, You shall not make the name, take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him uh, guiltless who takes his name in vain. So, that's still not exactly what they're talking, what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5, but this has become a hot-button issue about things that you swear by and don't swear by. And it leads us to the question of why is this such a big issue for Jesus, which leads us also to the question of why do we swear by things to begin with? Have you ever thought about that? When you're talking with somebody and you feel compelled to say, I swear to God, I swear to God, you know, either like you're telling a story that no one's going to believe, right? You know, I met the Queen of England, I swear to God. Like, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. My mom, she taught me manners growing up by saying, if you ever get invited to meet the Queen, you don't want to be eating like that. You know, I don't know. Did anybody else have that in their family? Like, okay, I, that was me. That's how I grew up. You want to know why I'm messed up? Um, and my parents are at home right now. They'll probably watch this, so I'm going to get a call later today. But but <clears throat> I, I grew up that way. So, you know, if I walked in and said, hey, listen, um, I met the Queen of England. I swear to God, they still wouldn't believe me. And if I did, my mother would probably be mortified because she knows I didn't learn half the lesson she, she felt, felt like I, I should have learned. But why do we say that? We, we say things like that because we want to attach authority to something that we don't feel like we have authority in and of ourselves. We need someone else's authority to make our point for us. And we as Christians do this all the time. We do this all the time. And if we look back through our history, Christians have been on the wrong side of things so many times in the name of God. And it has done great damage to the cause of Christ. Remember, there's always a thing behind the thing. And remember that the Bible is not a list of do's and don'ts so that Jesus is just arbitrarily saying, hey, you know what we ought to do? We ought to really mess them up. Let's throw some extra do's and don'ts in there. I mean, they've got these, they got these first ten. I think they're going to be okay with the first ten. You know what we need to do? We need 603 more. 
and you listen, y'all come up with some, and I'm going to come up with some, and and then we're going to we're going to give it to them, and then we're just going to sit back and laugh. And honestly, a lot of people live their life following Jesus, feeling like this is exactly how these laws came into being. God just decided, I'm going to make this so hard on you, and I'm going to have these things, and these are the things that are important to me, and whether they're important to you or not doesn't matter. You just don't mess up. And if you don't mess up, guess what? I'm going to bless you. And if you do mess up, guess what? I'm going to curse you. And so many people live their lives in the fear of not getting the blessing or in the fear of being cursed when what Jesus has been trying to say and what God has been trying to say from the beginning is there's a way of living life that is very good and there is a way of living life that is not. I want you to see the difference. The whole law is about... This is why Jesus says early in the Sermon on the Mount, I'm not coming here to abolish any of these things as if they're not important anymore. I'm here to show you why they're important and what it looks like to live them out. That is probably one of the most important parts for us in today's culture in the whole Sermon on the Mount is recognizing Jesus is saying, I'm showing you why these are such a good idea. We can disagree with them, but we have to come and find the thing behind the thing. I think there are, there, there are three approaches to this that we can take. And the first one is this, what Jesus is really saying. The first one is this, is don't, you got, don't use God's name to try to emphasize what you want. Don't take his authority, his, his goodness, his holiness, his purity. He is the God of all gods, the Lord of all lords. Do not take him and bring him down to our place in which we have to invoke his name so that people take us more seriously. So there are issues around that, certainly for us individually, and how we understand, well, okay, so I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't try to use God so that that I'm taking more seriously. But there are other issues here. And one of those issues is the fact that what if we're wrong and we've invoked His name? What if we say this is God's heart and it's not God's heart? Happens, this happens all the time with us. Because we ourselves are messed up and we're broken. And as much as we try to be trustworthy, like sometimes we're not trustworthy. And we drag God into this conversation, and this is not the conversation that God wants to be dragged into. Jesus, like many of the things in the Sermon on the Mount, he's going to go on, and Matthew documents a whole bunch of them. He goes on and really expands on these. And I really believe the reason that we have all of these teachings in the Gospels expanding on these little tidbits of things that Jesus is throwing out in the Sermon on the Mount is because likely when the, the disciples first heard them, before Matthew you know, even came on the scene here, they probably were like, I'm not exactly sure what Jesus is talking about here. I mean, I heard what he just said, but I'm still a little uncertain what the thing behind the thing is. And I think one of the reasons Jesus goes on to speak more and then the apostles want to emphasize that next that or that conversation Jesus has because there's no way all of Jesus' conversations are held within the Gospels. But the reason they choose them is because for them it was probably confusing and Jesus will later clarify. Jesus does this in Matthew chapter 23 about this very thing. He says this in, in Matthew 23 verse 16, Woe to you blind guides. And he's talking to the Pharisees here. Those, those people who take uh, the law and they take um, just faithful religious people 
and they twist it for their own desires, and they take it all out of context, and they're the ones putting this heavy, heavy yoke on people. Woe to you blind guides who say, if someone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple, which was made has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift on the altar, which makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. In other words, every time we swear about anything around God, we are invoking God, and that is not good. When I was growing up, there was a, a comedian, not a Christian, hated, hated Christianity. His name was George Carlin. Does anybody remember George Carlin back in the day? Oh, yeah. I mean, he was big time. And, I mean, let's be honest, we laughed. He was, he was, he was, a, um, he was an activist comic, you know? He always had an edge to the things that he said, and he had a lot of really negative things to say about Christianity. And one of the, thing, one of the bits he does, and I, I would play it for you, but he's also one that, you know, um, yeah, uses a lot of foul language. So I didn't want to show his clip. But he does one clip talking about swearing by the Bible, which is so incredibly spot on with Jesus' teachings from a man who can't stand Christianity. And so he, he basically lays out this story about why do people try to swear on the Bible? You go into a courtroom and you have to raise, you know, what at one hand, I don't even remember which it is. I guess you raise your right hand, you put your left hand on the Bible, and you swear by the Bible to tell the whole truth um, and nothing but the truth, as if no one's ever done that and then lied. <laughs> like when's the last time somebody did that and they lied and they were struck by lightning? Um, to our knowledge, it's never happened. And yet his point was this. Christians make this big deal about swearing on these things that the rest of the world doesn't even believe exist. But it doesn't mean anything to a lot of people. How many people have sworn on the Bible and it means nothing? They just go on to lie as if because we've sworn on something, I swear on my mother's grave. Like, he even makes the point, I, I, I'll swear on my mother's grave because she's dead. I mean, I, I swear on that. She, she doesn't care. She doesn't care that I do that. I think George Carlin has a point, and I think he's making the exact same point Jesus is making. If your words are not enough in and of themselves, attaching God to them does not make them any better. Now, we can easily add that to our list of don'ts, right? We can easily add that to our list of just don't do that. Just don't swear and, and, and be honest. And, and I think those are really good points that Jesus is making. I still don't think that's the thing behind the thing, though. That's not really where he's trying to um, drive us into to, to doing all this. Uh, to, to not giving an oath. The second thing is this. Um, I think it's closer to what Jesus is trying to say, and it is this. Don't try to control um, your image to others. Yeah. Like, I I know I, I, I'm ugly in my heart, and yet I invoke God to, to look more more pure. I invoke Him to look like I'm on His team. I'm on his side. I want the same things he wants, and he wants the same things I want. See, we are terrible at trying to control our image. Um, our students that we took to D-Now a few weeks ago, two weeks ago, I guess, um, our whole talk was on living authentically, right? I don't, 
if anyone's in here that was there with us, it was all, the whole point was living authentically. And, and we live in a world that controlling your image is everything. Is everything. I mean, how many selfies does it take before one gets posted, right? I mean, I'm guilty of that. Like, oh, that's a bad one. <laughs> oh, I need to that. I need, ooh, I need to get a little higher, a little higher on that one. You know, it's that filter that makes me look younger or prettier. Or I, I'll be honest. I there are filters that make that that make you look attractive, and yet I've used those filters. I look no different. I don't know if that means I'm just attractive without them <laughs> or that literally I've broken the app. I'm really not. It's, it's just like, uh, Mark, I'm not even going to try on this one. I mean, there's no hope. There's no nothing we can do to make this look any better than it does. It's probably the second, not the first. But, um, but you know, you can tell. You can tell. Like, you know, they subtly move and their face shifts with them. It's like, oh, that's not their real face. <laughs> right? Some of you are like, where's that app? I got, I'm taking some, I've gotten some new selfies coming out later today. What's the name of that, that filter? And, <clears throat> and the, the reality is, is there is a brokenness that happens in the need to control your image that you'll never overcome. Because when you, once you begin living your life trying to control your image, you will never 100 fully. 100% fully be yourself. We've talked about this using other language before. We've talked about the true self and the false self. You remember that? We did a series years ago. I still get calls about that series, by the way, that we talked about your shadow mission, um, which is where we try to present one thing, but behind the scenes, something else entirely is going on within our lives. And Jesus was not about presenting a false image. You know, we joke about things like Jesus would not have been a good church planner. <laughs> like he runs too many people off. You know, Jesus is the kind of uh, Jesus is the kind of teacher that the more people that come, the the more he raises the bar so that they'll not stick around. Not because he doesn't want them to stick around, but because if you're not coming authentically who you are and really wanting this, you're never going to experience this. You're never going to have this. Don't try to control your, our image to others. There have been so many instances where someone has so carefully crafted an image and it just takes one time of dropping, dropping your mask and the whole thing crumbles. The thing crumbles. Don't try to control your image to others. So the third thing, and this is the thing I think is the thing behind the thing, is simply this, live authentically. Be who you really are. Show the cracks. Show the healed cracks. Don't pretend that you're better than you are and don't pretend that you're worse than you are. Be who you are. How many times have we entered into some kind of community and we really want to be a part of this community but we don't feel like this community is going to welcome us so we become something else. We become what we think they want so that we can be a part of that community only to be exhausted by the time we're welcomed by that community because we know they haven't actually welcomed us, only the, the image of us that we've portrayed to them. You cannot live full and free pretending to be something you're not. Jesus is making the case, don't invoke God to make yourself appear something other than what you are. Just be who you are. 
And don't come up with subsets like, okay, so we won't, we won't swear on God. We'll, we'll swear on, and we won't swear on the temple, which is the house of God. Um, and we won't swear on the altar because that's a big deal, but we're, we'll swear on the gold on the altar or we'll swear on the, the sacrifice on the altar, which is where Jesus later says, no, that's all the same thing. You're doing the same thing. There's no difference in that. So just don't do it at all. Some have taken this teaching and they've gone so far to say that a Christian should never sign a contract. That is also not what Jesus is saying. Yeah, yeah, good luck getting a house. This is not what Jesus is saying. So as we kind of walk through this, I would just simply ask this question of you for, for you to ask of yourself. Am I presenting myself truthfully to others? Is this who I really am? And, and preachers are, gosh, we're really bad at this. Because people come to church if a preacher shares all their junk. The preacher's supposed to have it all together, but preachers are just like everybody else. We have our junk. It's like you have your junk. Living authentically, Jesus would also go on to say this, <clears throat> be hot or be cold, but don't try to be somewhere in the middle. Be who you are. Or don't pretend. Later in this sermon, the same sermon, Jesus is going to give what I think is the most frightening passage in all of Scripture where He says, you guys are coming to Me, calling Me Lord, but I'm not your Lord. And their response is what, what many of our responses could be, which is simply, yeah, but, but we did all these things for you in your name. Yeah, apart from Me, I never knew you. Which means you never knew Me. That is, for me, the most frightening passage in all of Scripture. Am I presenting myself truthfully to others? Do I present myself as okay, but really I'm falling apart? So that's one layer, right? Do I present myself as falling apart when I'm really okay? Because I get, I get something from doing that too. Am I... Quiet because I'm introverted, or am I quiet because I'm utterly destroyed internally? And I just need somebody to show me they care about me because I don't feel like I care about myself. Am I fearful? Am I angry with everybody? Because I'm dealing with such great hurt, I just don't know how to get past it, and I'm just angry. You know, I'm not suggesting that we should all just be angry all the time. But I'm suggesting for most of us, nothing's going to change if no one ever knows that we're angry. No one ever knows that we're hurt. No one ever knows that we're suffering. Am I quiet because I've locked myself in a cage of shame? Because I'm scared to death you'll find out I'm not the person you think I am? I just won't say anything? Are my convictions about life, are they really mine, or have I adopted the convictions of the group? I so want them to welcome me, but I don't really believe in those things. Am I presenting myself truthfully to others? Three passages I want to share with you that we're going to wrap up. To speak to this as the apostles struggled um, with this and Jesus Struggled to help us to see this. 2 Corinthians 1.12, um, <clears throat> Paul says this, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, 
that we have behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely toward you. Ah, what a, what a life goal. I just want to live in simplicity, godly serenity. Matthew 18, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Children just don't put on masks. I mean, they do, right? But, but they are fully pretending, and they know they're pretending, and they love for you to pretend with them when they're pretending, but kids don't put on masks. Kids are what they are. We sometimes want our kids. Sometimes we're out with our kids, and we're like, would you, just, would you act like somebody else's kids? You know, we say that. We want you to pretend to be somebody else right now. Kids just don't do that. One thing Jesus is saying, there is a sincerity and a simplicity and an authenticity that comes with being a child that we need to regain as adults. Jesus gives a scathing review of some of the religious teachers of the day, the Pharisees in Luke chapter 12, and I wanted to read the message version because it is so good. It says this, by this time the crowd, unwieldy and stepping on each other's toes, like they're just crowded in. Like there's just tons of people. They're walking all over each other. Numbered into the thousands. But Jesus' primary concern was his disciples, and he said to them, watch yourselves carefully so you don't get contaminated with Pharisee yeast. Pharisee phoniness. You can't keep your true self hidden forever. Before long, you'll be exposed. You can't hide behind a religious mask forever. Sooner or later, the mask will slip and your true face will be known. You can't whisper one thing in private and preach the opposite in public. The day's coming when those whispers will be repeated all over town. <laughs> Read that and I think, oh man, you could, you could say that about me. Probably say that about all of us. Now, I want to be careful because it's very easy to take this and, and make the thing behind the thing just as bad as, as, as the thing. Missing it completely. Jesus is continually saying, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He is not placing this burden on us you know, at the end of a punishment saying, be more authentic or I'm going to punish you. That doesn't... Punishment doesn't invite authenticity. But Jesus is still pushing us into that place in which we can say, I may not be as great as I wish I was. I may not be as great as some people think I am. But I am who I am and that is enough. Now in the church, what does that look like for us? I think it looks like in a couple of things. Um, I think it looks on the way that we act and the way that we act towards others as they act towards us. Um, for example, I think when we come into a place, we need to be honest about where we are in our life and in our faith and our struggles and in our triumphs. I think we need to be honest. The Bible says we're supposed to, to bear one another's burdens. We're supposed to rejoice with one another. Um, we're also supposed to sit with one another in our sorrows. I mean, we, you can't sit with someone in their sorrows if you don't even know they have sorrows. So there's a, a part in the action of who we are that we come in authentically being who we're supposed to be. I mean, we come in and we want to get to know people and we want to let them know who we are truly as we are, uh, but 
there's also the aspect of what happens when you go into a community and you have chosen that you're going to live life authentically because you will find really quickly that the world is not always safe towards those who choose to live authentically. That's why we have masks to begin with. So what happens when a person comes in and they say, I'm really struggling. I'm really struggling. Now, there are things that are okay to struggle with publicly in the church, and there are things that are not okay to struggle with publicly in the church, right? We have our, our kind of hierarchy of things, like, I'm struggling with saying no to so many service opportunities. Now, you can struggle openly with that, right? We can do that. You can come in and say something like that, but you can't come in and say, I'm struggling because I want to watch porn all the time. Because now we heap what? Judgment. When that's a cry for help. I'm struggling because I hate my brother. Which we laugh at when they're three. But when they're 33, it's not funny anymore, right? We go, ooh, it's rough. I remember when we first started Journey, it was, it was the height of uh, what has come to be known as the church planting movement. Like, thousands of churches were being planted all over the country at the same time. And, and we in regional networks would get together and do things. And there were always those that kind of rose to the top and would be the speakers at all the things and, and all that. And, and um, so I remember the network we were at, and Scott and I were, we were highly involved um, in these networks. And... Um, like one year. <laughs> We'd been doing this now for probably two or three years, but one year, like the majority of our top tier, rise to the top, speaking at everything, church planners had to leave their positions because they did some really bad things. Stole money, slept with their secretary, destroyed their marriage or someone else's marriage. And I remember one of the kind of older, wiser organizers of this particular network, I was having coffee with him, and I just, I just said, I just, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. I'm struggling to see that the things that we have been working towards are real. Because this doesn't feel real. I'm struggling to feel that we're really advocating for a more authentic, true faith when the people that are our leaders seem to not actually believe in any of it. That's pretty harsh. I mean, and I've got to admit, when I said it, it was harsh and completely devoid of any of my own failings. Like, I was only seeing their failings. So... But this older um, kind of organizer, he said, man, you're really hard to sit with right now. Really, really hard. You're really being hard on them. You're really hard to be around right now. Well, you can probably guess I never returned to that network because I was, a, I was struggling. And yes, it was sinful for me to point out the sins of others, ignoring my own sins, you know. Pull the plank out of your own eye before you worry about the speck in someone else's. Although, I don't really feel like that was a speck. <laughs> and 
if you choose this path of living authentically, do not expect the world to embrace you for it. Don't expect the world to go, you know what? Man, that's the way to do life. Because the world is convinced the only way is to wear a mask. And they will only accept some of us when we have a mask on. This, this is when I talked about the metaverse. This is exactly what Mark Zuckerberg said and as they're pushing more and more virtual reality. This is exactly what he said. You cannot be yourself in the real world. People won't accept you for who you are in the real world, but buy our $300 headset and subscribe to our channel and you can come into the virtual space and be whoever you want and be accepted for who you are, except the people in that virtual space represent themselves as anything but who they really are. If you choose to live this path of living authentically, you are going to struggle and people are going to be uncomfortable with it. You're going to lay more of yourself out there and people are going to be uncomfortable with it. And you're going to enter into communities and even churches. And even churches. And you're going to enter into these churches and you're not going to be accepted because good Christian people don't struggle with the things you struggle with. But Jesus welcomes you with open arms because this is how Jesus walked the earth. He walked to the struggler and He put His arms around them. And he said, come and follow me. And the people who faked it, and they were like, oh man, I'm going to follow Jesus. He would say things like, you know what, go sell everything you have and then you can come follow me. And then the rich young ruler walked away. Or the, you know, someone would come and say, I've got these other things I need to handle first. He said, oh, they can handle themselves. If you really want to follow me, come and follow me. I, I really think what Jesus was trying to say to them is, your heart is not actually to follow me You've got to deal with the thing that's your main thing. But when I become your main thing, I'm here and come with me. So, here's what I want to leave you with. When Jesus was constantly... When He was constantly questioned about how... So how do you live life your way, Jesus? He always went back to the Old Testament. And He quoted Scripture from the Old Testament. And then He... He revealed it in such a way in which it just made more sense for their current situation. I think when the way we go back is we recognize being our true self means the person we were created to be before sin entered in. Masks for the purpose of, of concealing who we really are is a sin. It's not who we really are crazy is as Christians, like we can fool people, but we can't fool God. I mean, it's not like He's like, oh, I had no idea. He had me truly fooled. It's not like He's not going to know. You were made to live life authentically. Before sin entered in, there was no shame in the garden. There was no embarrassment of my brokenness. It was when sin entered in that they looked around and they were naked and ashamed. When you choose to live authentically, it returns you to the place of your original creation, back to your default settings. And thankfully, even though now we struggle with being broken and messed up and sinful, Jesus died on the cross for us to take the punishment for that sin and to push us back 
towards the place where we become the people we were created to be. Maybe not fully until Jesus returns, but way more than we were before. And we can only do that if we are living authentic, true lives. It doesn't mean we don't try to do better. And we don't take the do's and the don'ts that are clear do's and don'ts. It's not, it doesn't mean that we ignore them. It means that that's who we want our real self to be. If you're a person who you've got layer upon layer upon layer upon layer on right now, I just want you to know Jesus loves you just as you are. He loves you. There's a a false idea perpetuated in many um, Christian circles in which um, the only way to come to Christ is to get your life together. And then you come to Christ. Which is just the craziest idea ever. As if we could do that without Jesus. The whole point is that Jesus helps us do that. And so now we say, you know what? You're not cleaned up enough. (laughs) How are they ever going to get cleaned up enough? They never will. And then we stand in the same place that the Pharisees stood in between Jesus and people. And Jesus has harsh words for people who do that. So it's a dangerous place to be. So, gosh, I don't don't even know how to best end this because some of you are like, yeah, yeah, best decision I ever made. I'm just going to be myself. Um, Some of you are thinking about that decision because you're tired. You're really tired. It's exhausting trying to be somebody you're not. Some of you face real loss at being, at, at living truly authentically. Like, I make that choice, I lose my friends. And I'll just tell you, I know how that feels. I know how that feels. I, I've, I've experienced that myself. Still experience that myself. I know how that feels. And at some somewhere along the road, you have to ask yourself, who am I following? The people who are only my friends when I'm one certain person? Or am I following Jesus? Who's Jesus all the time? And I do not dismiss that choice as an easy one. It's not. There's so much hyperbole in Scripture. If you're doing our reading plan, the Joshua video was really great talking about the hyperbole of the Old Testament. Um, Jesus used hyperbole as well. He said, you can't be my follower unless you hate your mother, your father, and your brother, and your sister. And Jesus did not literally mean, you know what, you've got to hate them. Like Jesus is just, he, his first sermon, he says, don't hate people. And, and his hyperbole is this. There are Some of you have families, and they're going to disown you if you want to follow me. You've got to be willing to say goodbye to them. And the hyperbole is, you've got to, that, that, that in your mind is hating them. So it's not an easy choice to live authentically. For some of us, we need some help figuring out what our mask is. We've been living in it so long, we can't tell the difference anymore. Some of us need help. You know, one of the reasons we come together and worship and why I do think in-person worship is so important. You can love somebody through a computer screen, but it's not like giving somebody a hug and looking them in the eyes, saying, I love you. I look, I'm here. I'm, 
I'm for you. I'm with you. You can't do that at the end of a keyboard. It's not the same. Let us, let our testimony be, let us as a church be, this is who we are. And you can be who you are with us, but together let's, let's experience the life that Jesus talked about. Let's do that together. Would you pray with me? Father, the thing is way easier to digest than the thing behind the thing. This is hard. This is hard. I pray, Father, in the dark recesses of our minds and our hearts and our lives where we can't even tell the difference between our false persona and our true persona, I pray that you would shine light and show what is true versus what is false. Father, I pray that if we are just playing a game with you, it will become evident that that's exactly what we're doing. Justifying. We are creating excuses. Let that be clear. Let us truthfully either follow you or walk away from you, but know truthfully where our hearts lie. God, I know there are probably some people either here with us in person or watching online, and they don't really know what their true heart is right now. They don't know. They're conflicted. They're torn. It's messy. It's And God, You have such great compassion for people whose heart are a mess. Such grace that You give daily, daily, daily. I pray, you would, I pray that You would bring people into their lives that will love them for who they are truthfully and will help them to to take off the layers of masks that have even confused themselves about who they are. I pray we would be those people. We would would welcome people that are messed up and love them. Pray that we would be a people that if there's no other place in this world that we can go to and we can be loved for who we truly are, this is a place where we can be loved for who we truly are. We don't have to put on airs. We don't have to pretend to be more cleaned up than we are. We don't have to pretend to be better people. We don't have to feel the need to take your name and place it over our lives to distract from all the just the yuckiness in our own Father, I pray for those who just are stuck. They're stuck. The mask has taken over. They don't know how to get out. But you know how how they can get out. But for them, it looks like picking up their cross. Some of their friends are going to walk away. They fear some of their church friends are going to walk away. God, You have called us to this place of authenticity because that is the real work is done. I pray that work will be done in us. I thank You that You accept us and all of our, our, our problems and mess and sin. And I thank You that You loved us so much that Your, your Son, that Jesus, You died on the cross for us. Thank You for that. Let us walk forward together as a community that loves one another authentically. 
that receives others that are searching for you no matter what they look like or what their past is or what their sins are. We receive them with the same love and compassion that you received us. Let us be a place where people can be reconciled to you. Thank you for your teachings. Help us to live them out. In Jesus' name that we pray.